0: Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Gary Thompson. Here with me is Brian Gottlieb, and we have a pretty exciting weekend coming up, honestly. We have uh, the first iteration of the MPL and Rivals split, which maybe I should talk about how that's being handled. I actually think it's pretty positive. And then the other thing is there's an Arena PTQ. So basically, if you're playing Magic, watching Magic, you have a pretty big weekend ahead of you. That's probably going to include some pretty big decks.
1: Well, should it, though? I mean, should it include no, big decks? No, no, but okay. that,
0: that's beside the point. Um, okay. Do you know the details on this MPL Rivals thing?
1: Oh, Lord, no. No, okay. I, I just uh, build decks and play games of Magic, and I let all of that stuff sort itself out. Generally, someone will tell me when these things are happening, how they happen, and that is how I keep track of it at this point. So,
0: Okay, so these folks are playing for money. And that's about the extent of it. But there's 12 basically like feature matches that they have lined up. They have like all the pairings set up and everything. Then in addition to 12 select feature matches, six Rivals League matches Saturday and six MPL matches Sunday, uh, competitors will be sharing each of their matches on their personal stream. So there's just like a ton of magic that is going to be like played and broadcasted, which is sweet.
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome. Love seeing good high-level magic. Is there also like MPL standing at stake from these? It's not just money, right? Like doesn't it determine whether you'll remain in the MPL or move from rivals to MPL? Is there anything going on as far as that being a meaningful impact based on these performances?
0: I can't possibly speak to that because – so like I I do know that like this this should affect their standing, I would imagine, but – I know I know that they've just been changing things that I haven't been able to keep up you know yeah but yeah I mean there's there's gonna be three splits and like there's money here and there wasn't money before so maybe oh no each each match victory is worth one point towards a player's league standing so it does matter to some degree okay uh so yeah I mean th- that that technically counts I just I've never personally found that to be a very compelling motivator, unless it's like actual elimination matches, or you know, even double elimination, something like that. It's like, you are know, you speaking are, from
1: like a viewership standpoint right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah And I, I, I agree I with think, you, and I think a lot of people feel similarly. Where it's like, okay, this is this is a match, and it's like maybe there's a thousand dollars on the line or whatever, but it, it it's also like a point that could mean the deal between, you know, staying in MPL or not six months from now. And it's like, that's not super compelling.
1: Yeah. You need, you need a lot of kind of inbuilt credibility to your league before things like that start mattering. Like you you have to establish why this is so important over a long period of time. It's like nobody would care about any given game of football if the league surrounding football didn't mean so much. And the championship meant so much at the end of all of it. Right. it, it just has to be more established. And there's been too much uncertainty surrounding this program. So you're not going to be able to sell it like that, but put some cold hard cash on the line and then
0: people can start getting interested because
1: you can put yourself in a player's shoes who wins a few thousand dollars, winning some games of magic this weekend.
0: Yeah, exactly. But in, instead, uh, again, it's like kind of nebulous, right? As to how much these things matter. And maybe you'll look back on a certain match and just be like, Oh, you know, that was, maybe the deciding thing or whatever. But in the, in the moment, it's just like, yeah, who knows how this, how much this matters. So regardless, I mean, these, these people clearly care about this, you know, like this, this is their livelihood at stake and they are basically forced into trying as hard as they can at every possible opportunity because all of it does add up. And that's that a is lot. A, I mean, what do you think yeah. about that
1: from a player perspective in terms of just like the wear of... Uh, certainly there was some of it with like the GP schedule previously, and then you added travel on top of that if we want to look at the old way Magic used to operate. But something about this feels a little bit different to me in terms of just always having to have your pulse on the standard format specifically. Although, are they going to do some uh, historic splits as well?
0: I would imagine so.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I mean it's just a, a very high level of weekly investment where you always have to have a top notch deck because it it does matter for your livelihood. Like this is determining a su- substantial portion, apparently, of whether you're going to remain in one of these leagues.
0: I'm trying to figure out if one of these is actually historic. And I don't. I, uh, there's a Zendikar Rising Championship in December that is both. I guess that's like the PT. I don't know.
1: Yeah that that's what the PTs are called now, right? Dude.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> one day, Jerry, you and I will come to do one of these shows and we will just – we'll know. We'll be it, so it, sure.
0: It used to be simple, man. and uh, did. I understand where I, – I think people could just be like, well, you know, you're not participating, so like – that's why you don't care or whatever. And it's like, no, even when I was in the MPL, I was still just like, I don't know how any of this works because it's just ludicrous. But yeah,
1: I'm going to be a little bit contrarian and just say like the PTQ system and the GP stuff that we all internalized after many years probably seemed a little iffy to outsiders as well, but I'm not arguing it's even on the same level. Like you could generally get someone up to speed on that qualification system pretty quickly. I don't think you can do the same with this qualification system,
0: right? And that—that's kind of the the problem for me. Yeah, and it also just keeps changing. Yes, you know, 20, yeah, I think that's a bigger problem. Twenty nineteen or whatever, maybe it was twenty eighteen, was supposed to be the transition year, and then we're just transitioning into more transition years. Anyway, we've we've talked about this to death. We can just not complain about this. Sure. Anyway, uh, it looks like the splits are probably just standard. And then the Zendikar championship is both, which I don't know. I kind of like them being different formats. I think that makes sense to me, but
1: yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's more to prepare for. You have to stay engaged with a couple formats, although with taking all the other stuff, like there's no more modern, there's no more limited, no more pioneer. If you're taking all of that out of the pro system, then I guess maybe the burden has actually gone down with everything being focused on arena.
0: Right. And I mean, historic and to some extent standard too, as long as it's like not immediately surrounding a rotation, I think like, you know, you can kind of keep your eye on it. Historic, I would not expect to move a ton unless there's also like a another remastered set coming in pretty soon. There is. Uh, in relation to like the new set. Okay. So yeah, then then it definitely makes things difficult. But like thinking about... Uh, the old Pro Tours where it's like a set would release and then you have two or three weeks to work on limited and constructed, like that's hard because, you know, it it is mostly two brand new formats. Uh, But historic being kind of like this eternal format or whatever, it's not that hard. But yeah, when there's other weird stuff getting thrown in, then it makes it more difficult.
1: Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, we just get to sit here and just give our backseat opinion about all of this and not have to participate in it. So for us, it's always something interesting to talk about. No consequences if you get it wrong.
0: No, that's true. I mean, so if if I were a person in MPL or Rivals, uh, Rivals I think is a little bit different because it's like if you want to get to MPL where you're making like actual good money, then it, it does it does matter a ton, whereas not a lot of people get relegated from the MPL. So you can have like a medium season and, and still have job security, I guess. But like I, as a Magic player if I were participating in either one of these things, I I would be happy just being able to play high level competitive magic on the regular, you know, like, sure. I, I always wanted more pro tours. Like I, I got burned out from traveling and everything, but like, if, if I could play like a PT, you know, every couple months or whatever, I would have been happy as long as you remove like the logistical nightmares of it.
1: Yeah. I think that's a fair point. And you know, just earlier this week, you and I were talking about how much we missed some aspects of the PT experience. Uh, in our lives. And in some ways, these people are getting rewarded with a lot of not exact PT experiences, but something approximating them. So that's cool.
0: Yeah. So, uh, I mean, this is cool. Basically, like if if you're a player, you're uh, playing in the arena PTQ, which is not the correct nomenclature, obviously, that's cool. And if you are, maybe if you bust out of the PTQ or if you're just trying to watch a bunch of high-level magic or like try and figure out where standard is, you know, like this weekend is also great for you. So
1: Mm
0: -hmm. uh, I am, I'm probably going to be tuned in.
1: I will be there with you. Uh, But if you are too busy to tune in and you're relying on, say, maybe your favorite podcast to get you up to speed on the standard format, I think we could do that as well.
0: Yes, it's a little more difficult, right? Because similarly to God, what was the, the pseudo worlds called the season championship or whatever? I don't know.
1: Oh, uh, we just uh, talked about this.
0: Hold on. Hold on. It'll come to me. Uh, so I'm looking for it and I can't find it season oh, okay. season grand finals. There we go. Nailed it. That tournament, you saw the effects on that, right? And granted, we had an omnath math problem, obviously. I think even if there was a pro tour, it could have been like the 70% OCO PT or whatever, potentially, but worse. I think it would have been worse. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, this is a a smaller field. Uh, I think that there is a direct metagame that people were targeting. And I think that the deck lists that come from this event are likely going to be a little bit more inbred than, say, like an open pro tour type of thing would be or a Grand Prix. And the results from that are are going to differ a lot. So, you know, you got to take everything with a little bit of grain of salt, but you still get to see kind of like... The next step in that technology and the format's evolution. And then, you know, maybe these decks are like hard targeting things like Urian a little bit too much, and you can kind of cool that off a little bit. But regardless, I think it is going to be important to get the information, see what the pros are doing, and then help the format actually move on to the next step because we kind of need it. It hasn't even been that long.
1: Yeah. I said that it felt like some of the shine was beginning to fall off the format. And that's not even to say like I think it's not a great format. I, I've been enjoying the deck building aspect to a massive extent. And a lot of the games are very good, but there is a Urian problem. And Urian's like a messed up magic card. It it's not super fun, I think, to play against and to do the Urian loop stuff over and over. Like I think people Really dislike that myself included in a lot of instances, and there's a game length problem too. Like it just takes a long time to do anything yeah. on the ladder, especially if you're choosing to play one of these Yurian decks. So I, I do think the format would benefit from some churn. The good news is I also think it's very possible that the format churns. I I don't think like Yurian is de facto like Omnath level unbeatable. It's just very good, and you're going to have to find some solutions. And I think people are already starting to do that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think a lot of those solutions are like, all right, I'm going to tune my Urian deck. Sure, that's always an option. (laughs) So, So we're going to see a lot of that. But yeah, definitely I would expect the format to not be as homogenized as the season grand finals. I think that there's definitely a lot more room for players to actually experiment. And I think it was last week we talked about, you know, Nassif saying that a lot of the cards in the format effectively got unbanned. And mm-hmm. that that is still very true, you know. So, like the the format is kind of congealing to a place that is not great. It's not even just that there's a best deck; it's that the best deck is again like pretty frustrating because the play patterns for this deck don't necessarily move the game towards conclusion. You know, you're mostly just spinning your wheels for eternity.
1: Yeah, I noted that Yurian is a very 2020 magic card it's a totally acceptable creature on its face four or five flyer for five mana you're not writing home about it but like you'll get by off that body but it's also a source of persistent card advantage it's an engine in and of itself when you combine it with some other things that are going on uh, it stretches games into infinity and if you want you get to do it with the companion mechanic as well so it really emphasizing all the points of 2020 that have kind of gone a little bit astray maybe in a more manageable way than some of the other stuff, but still there's a lot of that same feel to it where games get very big, very quickly. And I think this past week was about making the game as big as possible as quickly as you possibly can while people were still not prepared for just a straight linear maximize my Urian approach.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I mean, so like last week I posited that Golgari Adventures was the best deck at the moment and that held true for about two days before people started playing more Eurion decks. And like, I think uh, Corey Bowmeister was probably the first biggest offender where he streamed a version of it and didn't lose very much, if at all. And then he played it on versus live. And like the next day, a bunch of other streamers were playing it. And then people started refining the archetype. And that's kind of like how Azorius Eurion kind of exploded. And it is the exact type of deck that the adventures deck does not want to play against. So like that was cool. That created like almost instantaneous churn where adventures was the thing that people were winning a lot with. It's very hard to beat. And then Urian is, has a lot of the same qualities, but also kind of dominates uh, adventures as far as like the sizing goes, you know, like they play like a much more robust late game versus playing Kazandu Mammoth, for example. But yeah, now, now we're in a space where, there's a lot of different versions of Yurian, and from the early reports that I'm hearing about the MPL stuff, it looks like people have taken that like another step further and have like further built their versions. So, I mean, you also kind of mess things up too by posting the Celestia one.
1: Yeah, a little bit. You're part I of mean, the problem, Brian. I know. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm supposed to be out there making fun, exciting decks with bad cards. Like and here is Lithiforming, and here I am making a Urian deck, but it, it just leaned into the very natural holes I saw in the format where like there were a bunch of decks contenting themselves with being the smaller mid-range deck. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that is a cardinal sin. You don't ever want to set yourself up to be the smaller mid-range deck. And I think the Azorius decks were doing a good job exploiting that, but the Selesnia version just goes hard on that concept and maximizes basically every spot on the curve and builds in additional redundant engines in the Trail of Crumb stuff. And then you're also just like cleaning up battlefields so efficiently with Wicked Wolf that any anyone trying to play fair into the Selesnya version of Urian, they're going to have a nightmare of a time. And all these decks like Mono Green Food, any Rakdos, which was still around, any Mono Green Aggro, or even Mono Red. It was just like so easy to clown these decks. And of course, Green Black adventures, is another very, very easy matchup. Uh, and the way the Azorius decks were being built, you had good game against some of them as well. Now, I think that's mostly over. And yes, I think Azorius can just hard exploit Celesnia. And, you know, there's this weird thing where you make a deck and then people keep coming to you and they're like, what are the updates for the deck? And I'm like, don't play it anymore. That's the update. It's done. <laughs> like that was the last weekend thing. And they're uh, like yo,
0: yo, but I'm in, I'm in silver and this deck is dope. So like, tell me how to update it. Cause everyone's super far behind.
1: It, it is dope. And I, I'm glad, I'm glad people are having a good time with it. A lot of people have messaged me saying they've really enjoyed the deck. And I I do wholeheartedly appreciate that, but all these decks are designed for a moment in time. And I think Selesnya's moment Was last week, and it put up great numbers. If you look at most metagame breakdowns, really nice win percentages. You know, topping fifty five percent in some instances. Uh, I'm happy that I kind of found a sweet spot, but I I don't think it's a long term trend because there are just some things that the colors Selesnia can't do that Azorius does have access to, and I think that's the change you alluded to, where these Azorius decks are already starting to adapt in the appropriate fashion.
0: Right, and. I, yeah, Celestia, it just it hit the spot for, again, it was like that day, kind of yep. kind of like what uh, Golgari did. And then after that, people, you know, some people were like trimming down to 60 and removing a lot of the kind of like the nonsense from the stuff, just like the random value cards that maybe you kind of have to play when you're playing 80 cards, uh, just yep. like Charming Prince, Baron, Thassa, all of that nonsense and instead you're playing i don't know just things that allow you to actually go over the top of your opponent and focusing more on like oh well like these people can't beat a dream trawler like maybe all main deck shatter the sky or some essence scatters or whatever that just continue to give you an edge and that's basically what happened it was like Celesnia was great for me for a day and then the next day i kept playing against versions of azorius that just like re-trumped me in the mirror effectively
1: sure yeah. And I think there's a lot of good options for that. As simple as Essence Scatter, really. That's something that Azorius is going to have option to, that Selesnya is just not. And when you can't make those kind of pivots, you're, you're basically saying when you want green over blue that you're playing to control battlefields. You want Wicked Wolf, you want removal, or you believe that your engine can outsize anything. And you can just lean on Trail of Crumbs in perpetuity. And no matter what your opponent is doing, you can outscale that. And I think for a moment that was true against the Azorius decks. Like I was was, beating Dream Trawlers just on the back of my Trail of Crumbs. But as soon as you're accounting for that, it's really very easy to come out from under that pressure. And they've done a good job. I, I think Essence Scatter is one of the cards that stands out to me as a very key card. But Counter Magic in general is just what these decks are supposed to be doing now. And I still like 60 cards. I... I said in my article that I have like a 55% confidence ratio that 60 cards is better than 80 cards. When it comes to Selesnya, I was about 75% sure because there's some other factors with Selesnia where like you're trying to use a very parasitic engine that relies on having food in play. And there's only eight food producers in your deck. So stretching that deck to 80 cards never made any sense to me. It was very oh, clear that had to be 60.
0: I, I actually have the deck update for you. It, like you should have four golden eggs. And still be 60? Yes. Yeah, um, I, I buy that. Because Golden Egg is not that much worse than Omen of the Sea. It is definitely worse, but it's not that much worse. And it's an additional food. And I was searching for like a two or three mana card because like we quickly went up to four Elvish Visionaries, right? Or yeah. Land War Visionaries. Because like the velocity from that is super good and having things that you could blink off and et cetera, etc., etc. And... I was like, you know, just like Cultivate do this or like Birth of Miletus. And now it's just just Golden Egg plus it's a food for all of your other cards. So it's just busted.
1: Yeah, that seems totally fine. And it emphasizes what that deck is about. It's about not maximizing Urian. It's about playing Urian and just making sure your Urian leads to the next Urian. Because the first Urian doesn't win the game. That's not how this format works. It's about... Starting a snowball that leads to progressively larger and larger Urians and more and more mana and more and more food in play exactly. to where you get to be an outsized engine. And you, you can't achieve that with an 80-card deck. You just don't do so reliably. And I think Egg makes a lot of sense for that purpose. It's, it's just doing more of the same things that are starting the snowball. And that's what your deck is all about. It's all you're supposed to be doing.
0: Yeah, so from my experience on the Selesnya side of things, it wasn't that difficult to keep my engine intact. Like, you you would get, like, some of your stuff removed by Apparition and Elspeth Conquers Death, and maybe you get swept by, like, Shadow of the Sky or get something Counterspell, but, like, you had so many engine pieces that it wouldn't be that difficult for me to actually draw my entire deck, especially with the Great Henge. Right. But then I had the problem of, like, I can't actually kill them because... I mean, they have 80 cards, right? So like you're never going to deck them, but also they just had enough interaction to make sure that you could never get anything going. You would never actually stick a threat. And then they would just like kill you with a dream trawler or something that you wouldn't be able to stop. And I haven't been able to come up with a solution to that. And I don't think that there really is a solution.
1: What do you think about playing Vivian instead of the Great Henge? That's something I kind of waffled back and forth on throughout this week.
0: I don't think you can play the Great Henge because I think when you deck yourself, yeah, I I had like Henge Yorian going and like they couldn't break it up, but they would just like sweep me and gain life and like keep doing their thing, and I just ran out of cards.
1: Yeah, well, I think when no one was prepared, you could do the Great Henge because that just meant you outscaled everyone and you found windows. But now, when like you know the format is about this thing, it becomes a different scenario, and I think in that scenario, I really do like Vivian better. It closes a little harder and just like random battlefields where like you play it on four and make a small army but also you just get to like minimize the number of prints in your deck which is not a good card but has a function i think it's an important card to keep a copy of in and then you can just play your uri and go get charming prints and you have basically your loop established if that's how you have to win the game or you just get to generate more value you get more removal spells via Skyclave apparition and maybe that helps you close out some of the games that the great Henge was just kind of spinning your wheels through and not actually closing
0: yeah. I, I mean, I definitely think that that is a stronger inclusion than Henge, which is, it's funny because, you know, we're talking about like these perpetual motion machines in standard and the Henge is one of the best cards at that. And then Henge, Yuri it's like, wow, you're just going to, you know, draw 10 cards per turn. It's like, yeah, you do. And then you lose, you know? Like yeah. There's, you can't afford to draw 10 cards a turn. Yeah. It's like, you've, you've gone too hard. You know, you need to slow down a little bit. There's no, there's no like fireball or. Yeah. You know, but that the was Dread the goal, War, right? Like that, That's
1: the whole basis of how the Selesnya deck came about. It was like, how hard can you go? How do right. you get bigger than everything else? And combining all these engines... And I didn't even mention the Great Henge when we were first talking about the deck, but that's another one where it's like, nobody can keep pace with this if we're just trying to do fair things like play an Edgewall Innkeeper. It's like, okay, I played the Great Henge and drew 14 cards this turn. Nice Innkeeper.
0: Right. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's like some sort of clever setup. Uh I've even... You know, been trying to see if there's any like gay is blessing type of stuff that we're, maybe so like you just keep going on forever and like there's midnight clock, but I think that that's about it. And I don't know. I you just you get to a point where you know you have twenty permanents on the battlefield, you have ten cards in your hand, and you just can't win the game. And I yeah. just, you know that's that seems like it should be unacceptable. But you know the the planeswalkers are not super strong. Command the dread horde type of stuff doesn't exist. You don't have like a good fireball option and. You like there there are some setups where you can like a Mirias call, but it doesn't it doesn't necessarily win the game if your opponent's at like 50 life and has a dream trawler and a shatter of the sky. You know, it's like they you get they give you your one turn of indestructible, you still can't kill them, and then they just sweep you again. So
1: Yeah. I, I mean I, I don't want to spend our entire show on Urian. I think I could because I I built so many Urian decks this past week. Uh it was kind of where my fascination lied. But there's something interesting in terms of like the Urian deck that can close the game, and that's where I went after the success of Selesnya. I started looking at options where Urian actually had closing power and messed around with like mono White using Heliod and you got to pump your Amerius call tokens, which were invulnerable to both Skyclave apparition and Elspeth conquers Death, and you had this sticky way to actually close out games, and it was working, but it's like you give up a bunch of other stuff when you lean into something as narrow as Mono White, but yeah. it, is, it is fun to blink your Arcanist Owl and find beatdown plans via Daxos and Heliod. It, it was working. It was a sound theory, but it's just a little bit too far from like the whole mana advantage snowball thing that got us there in the first place.
0: Yeah, Owl is nice. I would love to be able to you know, like Owl, Nix Lotus or whatever, but Nix Lotus versus Skyclave Apparition is just a no-go, you know? Not good, so, no. Yeah, that's that's kind of awkward, but uh, I, I basically just wanted to lay the groundwork for Urian and like let people know what was going on and why some of these versions were working and why they're not now and how people are going to have to adapt going forward. So let me, let me just finish my spiel. Do it. Uh, next one is either Esper or Orzov, Doomfortold. And I, Doomfortold has a lot of the same problems as Nyx Lotus, where it, it's great in theory, but is very rare that it actually sticks around. And it's weak to Apparition and ECD. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Treacherous Blessing is another like engine card that is super powerful with Urien because Urien doesn't target. And you just have the same problem where you just like don't have the closing power. And I think you just lose to the more controlling versions that I was talking about before. So Orzov to me is cool, but just not really, it's basically just too much in the same vein as Celesnia. And then Azorius with a bunch of counter spells and maybe shadow the sky makes a lot of sense to me. And I would expect a lot of people to be playing something like that this weekend. But the other one is like the, the Jeskai Luka decks uh, with or without transmogrify, basically just like leaning really hard on dream trawler against everything. And, Thankfully, I think that that deck is probably gonna be on the decline because it's really bad against Runafoul, and I've seen a lot of runafouls in deckless as of late, which is good. But like that Jeskai deck was part of the problem that I was talking about, where you know, they they turn four dream trawler you. You have to basically build a big battlefield around it, and if they're able to, you know, just like continually sweep you and they they're very good at putting like all their dream trawlers into play, you know, it's super hard to kill them through that stuff. So that was that was a really big issue, but I think that might be going away. And now you just have to deal with these Azorius versions that are probably just more controlling.
1: Let me ask you a question about the uh, Luca setups because I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this yet. Hit me. That was that was something I spent a bunch of time on this week as well. And my theory with that deck was that you don't need Luca to hit the same card every time. Agree. Can you can just play Urien and, and Dream Trawler? And be very happy about it. And maybe this is, I didn't get this far, but like, I think maybe you can play Skyclave Apparition too. And you're just like fine with that. If you turn your stupid Birth of Meletus token into a Skyclave Apparition, you're going to find some purpose for that. And the uncertainty is made up for by the fact that like Luca is now a real magic card that you can just plus and be happy about. And you're still playing this really solid. Urian game plan. It's not like you've given up on that. You have your omen of the sun, you have your omen of the sea, and Urian blinking Luka is totally fine. You've you've gotten your value, and now you have a sticky planeswalker with a little bit more loyalty tacked onto it sitting on the battlefield that your deck is actually able to convert into something besides just more dream trawlers. Not to say more dream trawlers isn't great, but you're really banking hard on the premise that your opponent is one, not set up to like react to your Luka. And or if you're playing Transmogrify, it's even harder, right? Because you've given up a whole card, and they have spot removal for whatever you're trying to target. So you're banking on that premise, and you're also banking on the premise that like Dream Trawler is always going to be good enough, and people won't appropriately prepare for it. And I think not preparing for your Dream Trawler going into this weekend would be asinine. You have to be conscious of this that card at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's also funny because the best way to kill it is there's there's Runefell, which I think is the most common one, and then there's like the two B they sack a high casting cost thing. Right. I don't know what that card is called. Soul something. Anyway, run afoul is really easy to like sideboard around, right? Like you, you can bring in like some Brazen Borrowers or Archon of Sun's Grace or just like make more flyers, right? And then your Dream Trawler is more likely to stick. Obviously that weakens your lucas a little bit, but I basically agree with you where there are so many powerful things to be doing uh, with with Luca, they're not they're not like agent of treachery kind of like game over scenarios, but they there are things that you can do that give you a ton of value, and Urian is definitely one of them. I'm not sure if apparition really falls under that category because then you're not gaining a whole lot out of the front side of it. Like you're you're just getting rid of it, which means you can't Urian it, and then you also have to deal with the token and like you got to kind of oko their thing, which is obviously good, but. I, it feels like it would kind of like lead to some bad scenarios versus just like playing three Urian, three Dream Trawler or whatever.
1: Yeah, it, I, I will be honest. That is this, I theorized towards it. I never went that far It's just being like, okay, this will be good enough. I can actually succeed with this plan because it's it seems a little out there. It, it, it's a lot to believe you can have that level of inconsistency from your Luca. And like you said, it's hard to chain at that point, right? Like you don't want to let loose your Skyclave Apparition once you brought it into play. You kind of want to keep it around and get it blinked by your Urian. so...
0: Right. Uh, so from from playing the Luka decks, uh, mostly in, in stuff like, you know, Pioneer and maybe a little bit of Historic, three Agent of Treachery was kind of the minimum because, and the standard version plays around this a little bit with like Fire Prophecy and valicate Awakening, but whenever you draw one, you know, and then you like use one; it gets killed, and then you just have like the last Luca activation, and then your Lucas are basically just dead, and they just sit there, and you can't plus yeah. them because you don't get any value, right? So you're just like milling yourself, and then it's not like the ultimate really gives you any value either. Uh, so I think if you can find scenarios where maybe you have three Urian, three Dream Trawler, and you have a bunch of targets, your Lucas are just live basically all the time. And you continually get use out of them. I think that that's huge because it's not like the deck is trying to only hit Asian of Treachery because it's the best thing to be doing. You know, right. It's like,
1: that's exactly where I started with this deck. It's like, it's not, you're not that far ahead of the field with Dream Trawler. You've only saved one mana and there's
0: no real miracle there. Well, you get to keep the Lucre around, which in theory is worth something. Like maybe it's worth another Dream Trawler. But like, there are definitely scenarios where Yurian is stronger to put into play than a Dream Trawler. Yes. And certainly having the mix adds a lot of benefits too. there are some downsides, right? Where you're just like, Oh, well I, I'm going to make this play and I need to hit a dream trawler and you hit the other one and you lose or whatever. But I, I think that you just come at it from an angle of like, I am going to hit something good and not necessarily bank on it being one or the other. And yeah, I'm,
1: I, I'm glad to hear you're on board with that approach. It's something that has been sticking in my head for the last week or so, I would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if we had a bunch of like different tutor options and well, not tutor, but like polymorph options, and it was unclear as to which one would be stronger. I, I would definitely advocate playing a mix because all you're trying to do is like upgrade. I th- so I th- think the transmogrify ones definitely just want to hit Dream Trawler always. Yes, but if you want to just play for Luca and no transmog, I'm I'm completely fine with playing a mix of things, and I think that that's actively good.
1: Uh, another big selling point for me on the. Luka decks is that you get double duty out of your shark Typhoons, which is another like nice answer to dream trawler. Not perfect, but you know, you can usually, you want to make sure you have enough big bodies that can eventually challenge a dream trawler and shark Typhoon is one way to do so. And a lot of their interaction is sorcery speed too. Yep. Yep. Very true. Uh, so I I've been impressed with that card and just setups where you like, you go from no battlefield to cycling your shark Typhoon, play your Luka, Get a dream trawler and now you're very much in the driver's seat. It's weird how little of a factor Shark Typhoon has been given how good the card is.
0: Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is that you make a five-five and draw a card in most instances, and your opponent just kind of like shrugs it off because they're just blinking their stuff and you know, blinking solemn and omen of the sun, omen of the sea, and they're just accruing value and mostly ignoring you. But when people are like all in on dream trawler, and you're playing a longer game already, then it seems great, especially if, you know, say they transmog in a Dream Trawler and like that's kind of it. Uh, but in the version where we're talking about like, you know, four Lucas, more targets and you just like keep going after the first polymorph, then Shark Typhoon seems like less of an issue to me. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, it definitely seems good. I, I feel like if Celesnia had access to that, then I probably wouldn't have been in as bad of scenarios as i was before so yeah i could see that being part of the plan for like azorius urian trying to you know combat the pseudo mirror or whatever but i don't know like i said i think that the the transmogrify ones are probably doa especially if people are moving towards more counter spells
1: yeah and i i do think that's the trend right now
0: yeah i mean granted essence scatter is not great against transmogrify, but it also means that people are probably going to have like negate and mystical dispute and things like that. So mm-hmm. that's where I would want to be probably as Azorius counterspelly version. I feel like you're not even sacrificing that much against the rest of the field.
1: Well, let's define the rest of the field and then I'll circle back on that. Sure. Because sure. Most of my focus has been on just Yurian, And, and I, I think there's, a deck set up to prey on Yurian really hard. And I'm not sure if like making that move helps you in that matchup specifically, or just the broader field.
0: Let's see. I think there are two decks that I would consider as ways to try and fight Yurian. Any Dimir guesses? first one. Oh, well,
1: uh, I would assume Dimir Rogues would be very high on your list. Yep. Uh, I think that's a very realistic way to fight Yurian. And then the second one Maybe. Well, this doesn't really fly with the current trend of Urian decks. A, a week ago, or I guess like this past weekend, I would have said Naya Ramp.
0: Yeah, um, not not Ugin.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't think that's true anymore though, given the shift to counter spells. So, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm I'm big on rogues, but less big on other options to challenge Urian.
0: Oh, uh, I, th- I think rule is the other one. Uh, rogues. Rogues is more of like a slam dunk. Like you should be able to make this have a good matchup because you basically just get to counter every spell they play if you want to. And I think it's fairly easy to make that happen. You know, maybe the specifics of of the deck don't matter all that much, but like I would not go super hard on the mill stuff. I I think you should play like two crabs. Oh my God. I am so happy
1: you said that. Thank you. Yeah, for the, I've been yelling this at everyone. Like you don't have to play four ruined crabs. You get access, the strategic angles it gives you without putting four in your deck and people are just playing four blanks for no reason.
0: All right, so check this out. I tried with zero mm-hmm. and ran into too many instances where I couldn't mill them enough. So I think that. I needed like a little bit more help. And I think that two crabs does that. I'm still not happy about it. Like basically I just, I would prefer to not play crab at all. But I think that in order to power up stuff like Into the Story immediately, Mm -hmm. you kind of need like a little boost from something.
1: I agree 100%. I I think that Into the Story is one of the core reasons to play this deck and not Ruin Crab, but... If you want your into the stories to always be on, and that's I, I mean always, regardless of whatever cling to dust or whatever chain web arachnir is going on in your opponent's sideboard. If you need a reliable way to make sure you are able to power up into the story at key moments, you have to have some number of ruined crabs in your deck. And then you also just get to play game plans where you don't ever have to go on the offensive. And when decks are capable of gaining large amounts of life via food, as the current metagame is or via dream trawler attacks or via a bunch of different things that now can work as an engine to gain your life even blinking omen of the sun like that adds up you're asking yourself to fight a much higher life total it's nice to have the option to just be like no i'm just going to control your battlefield and i have this one mana threat that i have to protect and as long as i continue to draw cards and play lands you will lose the game eventually
0: yeah uh, i mean you you originally suggested that and i was like yeah that that makes sense because like you I don't know. You're playing, you know, Luris and getting back like thieves guild enforcer and you're just outdrawing your opponent. You have a bunch of removal and counter spells. It's like, how are you not killing them with damage before you mill them out? And the answer is you're, you're just not a lot of the time. Like the crabs, the crabs are there to enable your other cards, but at that point you don't need four crabs.
1: Yep. Yeah. It just seems clear to me. And I am, it's not something I've seen really anywhere. And it's, I feel like I've been beating my head against the wall, yelling this at people. I know I got my brother to listen to me, which is almost impossible. So he's been doing well on ladder with only two crabs. I think I convinced Jarvis today. Jarvis, eh, he's, he's convincible sometimes. So I won't take that as a huge victory, but just people are not coming around to the idea of smaller number of crabs.
0: Well, you have to think about what the crab is actually doing for you in the deck. And I think, you know, there were some versions that kind of blurred the lines between like, Am I winning with damage or with milling? I'm not really sure. And this version ended up existing because it's an enabler for your good cards. And then I guess people are just like, "Well, crabs are good in multiples," and it's like that's sort of true, but partially true. But you don't you don't need to mill them for twelve. You know, if you just get eight cards in their graveyard, you're mostly set a lot of the time. Uh, so I don't want to draw to that card.
1: Right there with you. Where are you at on Ventress Gargoyle at this point? Still a, still a Gargoyle fan?
0: Metagame thing. Uh, my most recent version had them in the sideboard, but given what I've seen on ladder, I was cutting them.
1: It's weird because they're very vulnerable right now. For a while, I was huge on them because I just liked, again, the closing speed. Like you could end games with them. I don't think it's as realistic they're going to end games at this point, though. And they just they get brick walled by a lot. Obviously, Skyclave Apparition, like a very clean answer, which is frustrating. And you play them at sorcery speed. And I think more and more, this deck is presenting itself as a deck that never wants to play at sorcery speed, even two mana. There's a big difference between one mana for a crab and two mana for a gargoyle.
0: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. And I mean, if if gargoyle were blocking things and that was relevant, then I'd be more likely to have them. Or if you needed something like lofty denial instead of, say, anti-cognition then it's like, okay, you know, the Gargoyle has a few more points. As such, I was just like playing it in my sideboards, the two of as basically a blocker. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen a ton of, you know, like mono red type of stuff to actually warrant it. So I was like, okay, we can, we can probably do better with this slot.
1: Any other features of your rogues deck presently that you're high on?
0: Nothing fancy. I mean, it's all, I'm probably writing about it this week, just at like coming at it from the angle of like, this is the Urian killer. Mm-hmm. and there's a lot of different ways you can try and, like, go about doing that, and, I don't know, there's just stuff where it's, like, do you do you think you need Castle Lockthoin in the mana base? Because if you do, then you need, like, Max Fable Passage and probably Max Triomes, and you can't play Temple, and, like, ultimately that doesn't change all that much about the deck, but it's, like, if I'm presenting a decklist, I need to figure that out, you know?
1: Triome getting access to green mana has been important for me believe it or not. It's come up a bunch of times. How's that? You steal a scavenging news and then you're able to use the scavenging news. Yeah. No? Nothing for you?
0: I mean, that, that, is, that is a thing, I suppose. It's happened a bunch and like, that's kind
1: of one of your favorite targets for the Lull Mages Embrace.
0: Domination, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, yeah, there have definitely been games like say against like Adventures or whatever where they have a Pl- Plucrinos and I'm like, big on reactive stuff and don't have graveyard interaction. Like I don't have the clang and like, maybe that would come up where it's like, aha, I use your own card against you or whatever, but I'm don't know. I'm not. know i not, I'm not going to bank on that. I don't think that that's going to make me decide on trium versus temple or anything, but
1: probably shouldn't be the deciding factor, but it does in, it does
0: matter. You're right. In
1: general, I have appreciated triomes a little bit more than temples uh, in those type of setups. And even with like, my Azorius decks. I know my mana bases have had gain life lands at some points, but I'm just pretty much on the useless triamo at this point. I think the cycling option is better most times in this format.
0: See, I had I had Tranquil Cove in my Azorius Urian deck because I was using my mana every turn and just never cycling them.
1: I if things are going well, that's great, but like There are theoretic, especially as like more and more people account for what you are trying to do, it seems more and more likely that you can find yourself in a position where you need to find gas.
0: Oh, maybe you weren't playing Maze Mind Tome.
1: I don't know if my most recent Azorius list had Maze Mind Tome. Well, my most recent Azorius list was weird. It it was very into the (laughs) idea of like, again, maximizing Yuri as hard as you could.
0: Sure. Yeah, like there, there are instances like that where it's like, I played a bunch of games where I didn't do my thing and didn't get to use my mana every turn. Like, I really want velocity and to be able to curve out. And, you know, Urian doesn't necessarily need a bunch of permanents to blink initially, but certainly like your subsequent Uriens, you know, you want to build that snowball, right? Right. And the thing that helps build the snowball is ensuring that you have like an omen of the sea or something of that nature to blink the first time. And Maze Mind Tome just helps you assemble all of that stuff. And it's also good against the ways that people fight you. So, I don't know. Main decking like one or two copies just seems like a giant free roll to me. And mm. is maybe the reason why I had games play out that way less often than you did. Sure. Where I was just like, I'm, I'm literally never cycling. Watching people play with Castle Vantress is the same thing. And like I'm devout anti Castle Vantress, right? But like even more so in, in decks like this where you just use your mana every turn and I've seen it like screw over so many people.
1: Uh, I shared a deck list in the Discord the other day and I, th- I think it was DT Lurch who asked me uh, why I didn't have a Castle Vantress. You're fired, Lurch. You're fired. I, I said that if I put one in, you would drive to my house and fight me and it just wasn't worth the fight. So I, I'm not willing to play Castle Vantress.
0: That might be the thing that gets me to break quarantine.
1: <laughs> one castle ventress in my mana base
0: i just well so if it's like two i'm like okay you definitely have a problem if it's one and i bring it up and you're not like well uh you know i wasn't sure or whatever like if you defend it at all then i might have to come fight
1: you. <laughs> and then you're just in the car yeah no, that's fair
0: anyway a lot of ways to build demir i don't i don't know what is correct i i'm Almost certainly going to put out a deck list that I'm like 80% confidence interval on, but it's going to be, I'm confident about the big things that matter and less so about the details, you know? Sure. Like, should I have two heartless act and one eliminate or- Yeah,
1: I I think that's the stage of the format we're at, right? It's about finding big picture stuff still. And then once we have a equilibrium and things have settled down, then that's when you start ironing out those really sticky details.
0: Right. So any guesses to the second deck that I think might you, be
1: good? You told me. You said it was Gruul Adventures.
0: Oh, damn it. All right. Yeah, I think this one's solid. Dude, especially when more and more mirrors become prevalent, they just cannibalize each other. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, maybe maybe I can get my beat down on.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that tracks. People move away from things like Shatter the Sky or whatever they were using to control Gruel Adventures. Also, there was this weird thing where after the bans, it was like, oh, look at this fool on ladder still playing Gem Razor, despite the fact that Lucky Clover has been banned. And now it's like, oh, wait, Gem razer is really good again. And you should definitely be playing it. So yeah, it kind I of co- came back I, around very quickly.
0: I mean, I cut, I cut Gem Razor for like a day and then, you know, Urien popped up and there were still a bunch of like great hinges and stuff. Like the card is still right. great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gem Razor has been impressive. It's just weird. I mean, I – feel like i beat this deck so consistently and that's not a knock on it because i recognize like it's doing some stuff that the format is just not accounting for and maybe it's just a function of the way i have built my decks thus far but i feel like i just get bigger than them although i will say the selesnia deck was like all sorcery speed removal and if they generated a large enough battlefield and were able to put an ember cleave down uh, that's not something my deck dealt with very well. I still feel like I beat them all the time. I don't really know how, but they they really need to hone in on what they are doing in their bad matchups, I think. Even if they can exploit Urian, I think the broader format still has it out for Gruul Adventures a little bit.
0: Yes. No, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I, I would recommend maybe trying to play Mono Red instead of Gruul because it likely has a better Urian matchup, but it has more of a problem with the rest of the format than rule does.
1: Mm, interesting.
0: So, I mean, it, it depends on how this weekend shakes out and how the deck list from the two or three tournaments, however you want to look at it influences people. Um, but if, yeah, I guess if you're looking to like be people down, I mean, we talk about the arena PTQ thing and like how kind of wild and random they are. Like you probably just want the higher power level from gruul If you decide that you're going to want to attack. That makes sense. And then, uh, Golgari adventures, like went over the top of every, everyone, but was like small ball in the face of Urian. So I don't, there, there's probably things that you can do to make that matchup better, but you're still going to be a dog.
1: It feels like a deck that has a lot of customizability. So I don't want to count this one out wholesale. I think you can do a lot to rebuild and get yourself back to a respectable matchup against whatever you need to beat, but maybe this is sort of the Jun deck of the format where you really need to know your metagame very well and have clear plans. And it's not for me. Uh, If you've been a Golgari gamer all this time and you feel like you've got it figured out, maybe you do. I don't want to discount that possibility. There's certainly a good deck list of Golgari adventures out there still.
0: One of the things that's been pretty annoying is that, you know, especially playing Golgari and trying to set up like Agadim's Awakenings and stuff like that, or Order of Midnight, and then Playing rogues with Lurus. Like, I'm not even convinced that that stuff is worth it when Azorius is the best deck because all of their stuff exiles.
1: Yeah. Skyclave Apparition does work against both of these decks.
0: Yeah. So, like, that's something to consider too is like maybe you should not be caring about those things as explicitly. And- I thought
1: for a, for a moment I had broken it with Skyclave Shade. I was like, oh, the, nobody beats this card. It's so good. And then
0: yeah the yeah. next
1: day it was just like oh mono apparitions okay we'll put this we'll put the shades up for yep. a while.
0: yep yeah you have you have a, a two two illusion congratulations yep it's just oko problems all over again it's kind of funny yeah yeah like honestly i could just like see cutting the lurus from rogues entirely if you want to branch out like play brazen borrower or something like you you definitely have permission to do that you are allowed to do that and then for the adventure side of things, like it's, it's probably just not worth it to play three awakenings. You know, mm. I think that you just like, look at the card just really doesn't do very much all that often against Azorius. And that's, that's kind of like the space in the metagame where you would want something like that. Right. It's like this big mid range like, so. comeback card and it just doesn't work. So I don't know. one of the things I want to try is going back to the, the Joel rail uh, village rights thing, but I don't know if that's actually going to bear any fruit or not.
1: Uh, it's an interesting idea. I have the feeling that Jarrell is outsized right now. Again, de- feels like a It's
0: definitely outsized, but it's yeah. a better beatdown plan than scavenging use.
1: Uh, maybe true. Yeah, getting getting wider is better than just making one big body for sure with all these uh, omen of the sun tokens creeping around.
0: Yep. So, some work to do on that, but I've I've kind of been Absorbed by other things, you know, like six different versions of Urian that I had to learn and figure out. And then I know I understand. Yeah. Going through the motions with rogues and everything. So uh, then then there are the ramp decks that are kind of interesting, too. And I haven't actually got to touch these very much. Uh, Lidar played Nya ramp in the CFP tournament in May top eight. And I don't know, just like very, very straightforward deck that looked like it could be potentially good. Uh, this is just like all the green acceleration you could possibly imagine. And then Phylath, Felodar, Retreat, and four Ugins.
1: Yeah, I saw this deck in the CFB tournament and I'm like, well, that's it for Selesnia. It's it's not ever beating this deck. Uh, finding a good Ugin option is important, or at least it was as like a countermeasure to what was going on prior to this point. But now that we've gotten to the counter magic space i don't know that this deck can, can succeed it's just missing too much of the inertia and i'd say the same thing about like the teamer ultimatum decks where you're trying to really put too much into this one payoff and there's good counter magic options there's ways for decks to just build infinite value where they can afford to one for one every big threat in your deck and they they won't have a hard time getting enough resources to do so and you really never pull ahead on resources there's no way for you to break ahead like escape to the wild so these decks were a moment in time again like designed to go bigger over a mid-range deck that was playing towards the battlefield and not actually challenging spells on the stack but as soon as that deck's gone i don't think these decks really have anything left to exploit
0: yeah, it's it's funny, there are some matchups where you're just like, please play an Elspeth Conquers Death target, you know, so I can like, get this on the battlefield and have it there to start blinking later. But then there are matchups where they just play a bunch of like two mana stuff, and you don't have a good target for it. And then these ramp decks are just like mono good targets. Yeah. And walking into that loop does not seem like a good idea, unless you know that you can like bank on you can to get you out of it, but I don't think you can anymore. I
1: agree. And you can even, like, if you're doing Charming Prince stuff, you can even leave the majority of your battlefield, like, tucked away yeah. in key spots. So it, Saw that happen a lot. Yeah, it's, it's just weird where, like, it, it should be a hard KO. And I think against decks that, like, again, Selesnya just playing to the battlefield, I think it is still pretty much a hard-ish KO. But certainly, if it's not, you can't afford to play it. Like, there's no way you're willing to spend eight mana and get negated unless you know this card is going to win the game. And I don't think it has the degree of certainty against things like Azorius at this point.
0: Dude, I hope someone registered my Ugin deck, or at least, like, fixed it and registered it.
1: I like that deck quite a bit into Yurian, I was beating them to death. Uh, also, I was playing it before you shared it, so nobody had any idea what was going on.
0: <laughs> and yeah, I think I w- a I deck like that a, I waited really a couple benefits. days. Yeah. I built that deck and played it a little bit. And then I was like, I'm not going to post this. But then you posted your thing about like, you know, not saying how good decks were. And I was like, okay, well then it's safe to post this because it's like, I'm, I don't that's not normally my brand is just like share like a complete bullshit deck list. But under that pretense, I could.
1: I think there is a space, we talked briefly about this last week, where sharing these ideas as sketches is very valuable. And what's really interesting about it is if you look at my article on Star City this week, and then compare it to like my Twitter account, you can see a bunch of the decks I posted over the last week. And granted, only really one of those amounted to much of anything. But if you follow the article, you can see how my thought process evolves with each one of those decks and how each one of those decks was critical to getting to the place where I finally did put together the one deck that had a moment. So I'm still a big fan of sketch sharing. I think... In general, if you were going to engage with my stuff, my content, I can't speak for other people. If I don't say, play this deck, assume it's a sketch and do your due diligence first. If I tell you to play a deck, then I'm confident in it. If I'm saying anything else, then it's a sketch designed to teach or learn something.
0: That That's basically what Sam did, Sam Black, whenever I teamed with him. Like he would just work on his decks, do his own thing, maybe seek input on certain things. But most of the time he felt that, he was uniquely qualified to actually go about the tuning process, which was true because no one else had any experience with his decks a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And then there were some instances like John death shadow in modern, you know, like GP Vancouver, whenever that was, he was just like, I'm playing this deck and you should too, because it's busted. And Sam doesn't give a recommendation like that on, unless he's serious, you know, yeah. I, and- I think
1: that's the best way to do it. I really do
0: yeah no i do too but like i the problem is is the the discourse in the magic community is always like you know someone shares the deck list and you just assume that it it they think that that it's busted or whatever and like no nah, there's there's like a lot of room for in between obviously and i don't know for like gogari adventures for example it's like i i'll write this article on wednesday that goes up on friday and then by saturday urine is everywhere and people will like dude, why is your Golgari deck so bad? I started playing it on the Monday after or whatever, and I didn't do very well. Too and late. It's like, yeah. Too late. If, if, if you asked me on Monday, I would have said, don't play it. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah that's just the way magic works now. Uh, things move very quickly, and you have to be always evolving, always thinking. And I, I think I would much rather share my thought process or illustrations of my thought process than keep everything to myself until I'm like, okay, now there's a banger. Because you'd only hear from me every four months, six months. Like that's just how magic works. It's really hard to make good decks and it's, it's rare that things can come and just upset a metagame <laughs> and uh, people just expect it on every deck out. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry.
0: No, man. So again, Sam Black, uh, I was watching him stream either last night or the night before. And <laughs> I mean, his, his, his decks were gas, obviously like they were, they were very Sam Black decks, but also I think they were on the side of being like, you know, more higher up on the the tier list than his stuff normally is, Mm -hmm. which I don't know, you know, like a a lot of it was like, this is a Urian based deck or whatever. So it's, it's got a lot of the powerful stuff going on that is inherently good in the format. And he wasn't messing around with like a lot of complete BS because he recognized like the limitations of the format or whatever. So he, He builds this deck. He like works on it for, you know, like 10 minutes on stream or whatever, which is fascinating, obviously. And then uh, plays his game, plays his match, beats his opponent very badly. And he's just like, all right, deck's busted. And then he just just opens a new deck and starts working on it. And someone's like, wait, what what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, I I wanted to try a thing. I I did my thing. And now like that, that deck is complete. I just I don't have to work on it anymore. I just put it on the trophy case. That is the deck I built.
1: Yep. I, I can empathize 100%.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I was like, this this is exactly what magic needs right now.
1: I think so. It's how I like to engage with magic. Whether whether magic needs it or not, I need it. So I'm going to take it
0: for myself. That's that's my stance on it.
1: He's he's just got different
0: goals, you know. And I think I think that they are healthy goals.
1: Yeah, that's one of the great things about magic is we all get to set our own goals and and shape them how we want. And uh, I definitely appreciate the way Sam does it.
0: Yeah, but the problem is then you know someone posted decklist on Twitter. And your goal is vastly different than someone else's goal whenever they posted, it. Of course, of course. Know and your
1: content creators. I, you have to do due diligence Like, yeah, you have to of understand course. who you're dealing with.
0: But the problem is, is that they then project their stuff onto you.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it's just a consequence of the mode of communication we're using. Like Twitter's imprecise, incomplete, and designed to create miscommunication. So it is what it is. And I think you just have to accept it with the platform. Yeah. Maybe taking away the ability to just retweet
0: will change that. (laughs) No.
1: No, that wasn't the magic fix to solve all the problems.
0: So the things I've, I've retweeted like 10 things in the last two days. Maybe that's a low number too. And none of it has been quote tweeted.
1: Oh, do you, do you not need to quote tweet it?
0: You just hit send without putting anything. It's just a classic retweet. Oh, I didn't know that. I felt so
1: obligated to comment on everything I retweeted. Not that there was a lot of it, but. Nah problem solved
0: yeah go about spreading disinformation or whatever spreading <laughs> bad decks how you'd like anyway uh bluetron i i think that i think that the deck could be good uh you know fake bluetron
1: yeah so the deck you're talking about what's the i'm gonna call it old drowsy monument that's not what it's called Felodar monuments i think really no, no that's not right maybe it is forgotten monument
0: forsaken monument
1: forsaken monument there you go uh that's the one Uh, into ugin into some mana rocks into hopefully your opponent scooping to an ugin because that's kind of all your deck really does but it does it well uh and it's a cool concept and like i said i was beating up on some urian players pretty hard that was before they were playing counter magic and it's probably worse in that scenario. And again, some problems with Ugin catching everything that they have. So well, the, uh, interesting idea. I thought it was a really cool approach. The,
0: the thing is, is that you have a bunch of counter magic too, right? You do. And you do. Y- you a get little to more play. expensive. I mean, Essence scatter is the big one.
1: Yeah. That and Thassa's Intervention is the other one?
0: Yeah. I mean, that was kind of like a, a draw two or whatever. Like that that right. could be anything. I mean, you, right, right. you could play Mystical Dispute Main, whatever. None, none of it matters. Everything's made up. But... Right. It just seemed like even even if they they had like this wall of negates or for your Ugans or whatever, it's like you can still just play a long game against them and eventually overpower them with whatever. I mean, talk-
1: barons every time, just make them huge. You'll get them eventually,
0: right? I was gonna say we, we talked about how they only have sorcery free speed removal, right? Like if if I guess they have omen of the the sun could be a thing where you know the coast is not actually clear or whatever, but. Like you, you get access to Shark Typhoon also, mm-hmm. which Huge is still Shark Typhoons pretty solid against them. You have multiple ways to actually stop yurian from resolving, and then they're just kind of like flopping around, not really doing a whole lot. So I thought know. the deck was cool. Uh, I,
1: I won a bunch. I only played against yurian decks with it. Uh, yes. It was pretty clear to me that you were going to have trouble in a bunch of other matchups. But sometimes you need a metagame targeting deck
0: yeah I didn't I didn't play against those decks and even like mono green food for example like that deck is slow enough and weak enough to things just like into the royal bouncing mm-hmm. their one big thing or that didn't really matter yep. and that matchup still felt fairly competitive but yeah like mono red gruel adventures I can't imagine you winning I'm sure I'm no. sure that you could but it seems very unlikely you got lucky yeah probably I mean I win win one game per match maybe
1: mm-hmm
0: but yeah it's cool and it, it it has like a lot of like cool interactions too like um uh, no, Mc- i
1: thought it was a ton of fun to play
0: McKinney throne plus Skyclave relic is nice yeah not not like tier one nice but like it is nice
1: yeah mckindy throne in general pumping up my like into the royals it, it mattered a bunch of times i was kind of surprised and made me want to go back to some earlier sketches i had around kicker decks but then i remember those decks played a row and i Idea pretty quickly.
0: Well, I mean, you don't have to. Yeah,
1: but you wanted to because if you're going to play a lot of bad cards, you need some glue like Uro to hold it together. So,
0: well, yeah, Ugin was my glue. It was like, all right, I'm I'm just doing nonsense. Uh, but then I'll play Ugin and wipe the board, and you can't win anymore. So,
1: yeah, I, I mean, like it's a decent strategy when there's really, really strong outliers. Like some of the Urian decks that I've worked on have been essentially that. Like it's just a bunch of crap held together by Urian and it's not a bad strategy to maximize your best cards
0: yeah i i mean if you're if you're looking to have fun you know try out the deck maybe build a new different version of it japanese player i'm a fan of riser posted like something similar that had iron craig feet and was just like mono red you know like Mm -hmm. like, very very big mono red and i was like okay that's cool too like i i appreciate that we're like kind of coming at it from the same space you know
1: earlier in the format I did the same thing in mono black except mine was like bad creature beatdown. Yeah. And uh it it wasn't good, but uh, there's something to do with the combination of these cards for sure. And it's only going to get better. Like if we see any more meaningful colorless cards, that this deck continues to improve, so.
0: Yeah, that's true. Those cards aren't going anywhere. Right. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, I, think that's, that's just kind of the format, man. Uh, it is, it is your world for sure. There are things that you can do if you're trying to hard target it for sure. I would just look at rogues and a pile of counter spells and that'll probably get the job done.
1: There's two decks. I just want to get quick hit opinions from you on fine because I've heard people talk about them. <laughs> Rakdos.
0: Uh, dead. I'm pretty sure.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Mono green food is the other one.
0: Well, let me let me talk about Rakdos. I like Rakdos a lot. It should in theory be like okay against Yurian, but it has a lot of the same problems that Golgari does, where like you have a bunch of ways to like one for one your opponent and kind of like keep them low on resources and stuff like that, but you ultimately can't stop Yurian blinking in omen of the sea, which you're just gonna lose on the spot. And they have super clean answers to Kroxa.
1: Yeah, the matchup has felt easy from whatever version of Urian I've been playing. And I think as long as Urian is the top deck in the format, there's no realistic world in which Rakdos can be a thing.
0: Yeah. And the other problem is that people are playing like a lot of escape cards for rogues that are also just generally pretty good against Kroxa. So that that also makes things kind of awkward. And then, you know, people have reasonable amounts of graveyard hate too, which also doesn't help the deck. So it's like, it's a good deck in a vacuum, but it's just, there's so many reasons why it's so bad right now.
1: I think also we should mention that, like, if Rogues is the answer to Urian, maybe there's some churn. Maybe you could find a moment for Rakdos to really put up a good performance, but it seems like it's going to be hard for that deck to ever push back into tier one again.
0: Yeah. I mean, Rakdos was bad against the Omnath decks, right? Right. But it is not as hopeless against Urian. As it was against the Omnath decks, so there is there's a chance. Like like we said with Golgari, it's like okay, maybe you can retool the deck, like regain some percentage points. You're not gonna get above a coin flip, most likely, but you can probably get pretty close.
1: I think it's almost as bad as it was against the Uri- or as it was against the Omnath <laughs> decks. I, I mean, I've, I'm telling you, the matches just are not close, and I feel like I know I can they're answer not close whatever they're trying to do in whatever way. I like it's just like okay, how do I want to pick them apart? Not am I going to pick them apart? Just how do I want to do it?
0: All right. God, I I, I want to say like, oh, yeah, like, you know, five mana card. What's the best five mana card that doesn't get apparition? And then they just ECD it and you're just like, right.
1: damn it. Yeah. Your index cover a lot. That's, that's the big problem.
0: The, I mean, the good thing is like you don't have a lot of ECD targets. So like maybe they're incentivized to actually shave them. I don't know. But whatever. Uh, model Green Food is fine. I think the best version of that sort of deck is one that is less focused on building an engine and more focused on actually beating people down. So I would want to see more like aggressive two and three drops and less things like feasting troll King. So like if you want to go like the gem razor stone coil route, I'm all about that.
1: Yep. I think you can be a strong disruptive beat down deck. I don't think you can be anywhere near a good engine deck in comparison to everything else going on in the format. So yeah. that line makes a lot of sense to me.
0: Yep. And I mean, that that's about it. Like, I, I think that they are fast enough to actually beat up Urien decks. Like they have some of the advantages of Gruul Adventures. They're not quite as glacially slow as Golgari Adventures. And then the card advantage stuff gives you game in a lot of pseudo mirrors, which is kind of why that version of the deck is picked up. But you really need to have a clock to have any sort of chance against Urien because you're you're not going to win the long game.
1: I wonder if you could just slot more of the package into the sideboard and like have that end as a secondary plan. Like how little of the package could you get away with in the main deck where you're not just giving up all your sideboard equity in terms of reactive type answers?
0: I don't know. It's funny, like Mono Green basically did that, right? But one of the reasons I actually like this deck is because you can you can play something like a, a setup card on turn two, like either trailer Crumbs or you know, Florahedron after like a turn one goose. And then you have all the pieces set up to go really fast after that. Mm. And the actual mono green decks had like swarm shambler. Like that was their turn one play, you know? And it's like, that doesn't do anything. So like, I kind of just want to play like the goose in mono green and yeah, maybe you sideboard trailer crumbs or whatever, but it's like, I think you can just play like goose, some trails, wicked wolf, and, and be fine with that, you know? Sure. Just no, no Troll Kings, man. Just, just cut it. Way too slow. Doesn't do anything against anyone. Another card that beats up on We all were
1: entranced by the Troll Kings when Throne of Eldraine was released. We tried many, many Troll King things. And
0: uh, I mean, it's cool. I
1: don't need need to try that again.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool, after, after things were banned, I was like, yeah, no way in hell. Right. (laughs) And then people started playing it. I was like, Ooh, maybe, maybe no. It did get me
1: to put a bunch of epic downfalls into my sideboards and main decks for a couple days. So that was, it moved things along. It it made me adjust my decks. It it was real, a very fine deck, but it doesn't seem tier one uh, and doesn't really have a ton of room for evolution in my eyes.
0: I think as of uh, recording it, Cedric is, or as of recording this, Cedric is streaming it. And this was was after like he and I had a conversation and he poo-pooed the deck. So I don't know, I'm curious to see what, his results will be because he was like, you know, top five on the ladder with mono green aggro. And then he was like in the dumpster after mono green got pretty bad. So,
1: yeah, I know he's been losing a lot lately. Uh, Not changing archetypes, of course, because why would he do that? But just losing.
0: I mean, I kind of like that strat, actually, because I mean, unless unless you know that something is going on metagame wise, but so many people are often just like, I played two bad matchups in a row and then you like switch decks and you're like, Oh, like now I'm <laughs> two more bad matchups." Yeah. Now I'm getting bad matchups with this. It's like, no play a big enough sample size, right? Because if you, if you stuck with the same deck, you know, you would, you would have good and bad matchups, obviously. So just quit switching decks and like tilting off as a result of that. Like if you think mono green is good, just keep playing it. And Cedric does that to his detriment, right? Where he's like, it is right. bad, but I'm still going to play it.
1: One criticism I'll never make of Cedric is small sample size.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cuz he plays a lot for no reason and with the same deck. With the same deck and he like also doesn't change cards very often too, which like kind of tells me, but whatever.
1: This has been the Bash Cedric Phillips podcast, a uh, subsidiary of the Cedric Phillips podcast.
0: Our our literal boss, our literal <laughs> boss. <laughs> but no, like th- these things, these things sound like digs or whatever, but I think that he gets a much more realistic picture of how things are going and, and he's like realistic about it too you know like that's part of it like he's right. self-aware he can right. like lose 10 matches in a row be like oh the metagame has shifted you know like this deck is now bad all right let's, lose 10 let, more. yeah let's play 10 more games <laughs> <laughs> it's like
1: all right, all right dude cool i respect it i couldn't do it so good for him
0: no me either i'm just like I, i'll just go do literally anything else right time to play any video game in the world yeah but uh, I don't. Know. He's he's similar to Kenji Samura. Kenji was I I would talk to Kenji about like different video games. He's just like no, only magic.
1: <laughs> I appreciate the dedication. I really do. I I just can't. I I think about magic all the time, literally all the time. And sometimes I'll just like stop what I'm doing and build a deck. But I can't just sit there and play nonstop games all day. It, it's not in my nature. And a lot of it is like I can't I can't sit and do anything for long periods of time. So it's not that magic should feel bad. I think they're one of the reasons that magic has occupied such a huge place in my life is because when I do get into it and I'm deep in a game or deep in a tournament, it captures my attention like nothing else on the planet, but I can't force that on a daily basis. That's crazy to me.
0: Yeah. I used to be able to just like grinding magic online cues with what I knew was the best deck. And I'm just like, you know, beating people mercilessly, making $3 an hour doing it (laughs) and just loving it. And now I look back on that and it's like, why wasn't I doing anything? It's like, I figured out what the good deck was, right? Like that's the purpose.
1: That's it. it, Your work's done. You get to stop now.
0: And now I tell other people and they go play it so they can, you know, reach their goals, whatever those may be. But back in the day, I was just like, I would get an account to like 1900 constructed and just retire it. And then I would just like move the deck onto a new account, get that account to 1900 constructed and then retire it. And it was like, that's what I was doing. Uh,
1: simpler times, I think.
0: I, I honestly could not tell you how many matches of mystical teachings I played, for example, between like standard and block. I tested so hard for this block pro tour that I, I didn't go to. Like I was qualified. I just didn't go to it. And I had the nut deck.
1: What would have been different had you made it? Probably nothing
0: like had i gone to the pt yeah oh i don't i mean i probably would have played bad and lost but like right it, I, it's just so funny to me where i instead of going to the pro tour i stayed at home and like granted moto pt or moto Qs with with that deck it like, doesn't make any sense
1: you created your own pro tour in your mind
0: i did i won that pro tour several times over nice yeah i i remember uh Like this, this was during the the poker room era, and Rich Owen was in town and he was leaving, I think, from Indiana to to go to that PT. And we're like talking about the format. And just, you know, at at some point, there's like this pause, and I'm just like, What's up, man? He's just like, You know a lot about this format. I was like, Yeah. And he's like, Why aren't you going to this PT? I'm just like, I don't know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well thought out plan.
0: Yeah. Game. Good luck!